As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yo, technology, what is it all about? I don't think there's actually anything harder than this that we can ever go through. Like, this is as hard as it could be, (laughs) knock on wood. And so if we can successfully get through this, then, you know, we can overcome anything if we put our minds to it. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley. Thank you for tuning in. I am Danny Forsen, your host, the West Coast correspondent for the Sunday Times. And you know, this show has kind of a general kind of template. I bring on folks, some of whom you know, some you don't, and ask them to tell their stories, you know, what they're working on, why it's important, why we should all care. We laugh, we cry, etc. But what I do less of, and I take responsibility for this, is to tell the story of what happens kind of after. Uh, you know, people love to talk about their highs, the, the kind of the myth almost, you know, how they got to where they got. But there's much less about the other side of that coin, the long nights, the mishaps, the points at which it all very nearly comes crashing down, the darker moments. And I think those stories are as important, if not more so, than the startup stories we're all so familiar with. So this week, we're going to dive in to that other side of the story. And we're going to do it with Colvir Tagar. He is the founder of Zeus Living, which is kind of like a an Airbnb, uh, but for business travelers, you know, on long-term stays. And you may remember that Colvir came on this show about a year ago, right before the pandemic struck. And at that time, obviously, the world was a wildly different place Tagar was another one of those guests. He started a company, raised a bunch of money, things were really starting to take off, and then the pandemic struck. And within weeks, Zeus was pushed to the absolute brink. You know, sales evaporated, cancellations flooded in, they had to lay off half the company, and it wasn't clear they were going to make it. So this is what I brought Colvier on to talk about. And look, the suffering that has unfolded in the past year is incalculable. A startup folding does not compare to what has happened these past 12 months. But there are a lot of lessons here in Culver's experience. And he actually, the reason I reached out to him, um, he had actually posted a kind of a, a thread on Twitter about, you know, on the 31st, December 31st, about what this year had been or what the last year had been. And I just thought it was really interesting. And it's a, it's a story worth telling. So with that, I'm going to stop talking and hand you over now to Culver Tagar, the founder of of Zeus Living. Enjoy. So just to kind of catch people up, so you were on the podcast about a year ago before the world changed. And it was, you know, it was a kind of a typical interview for this podcast, which is, you know, here's an interesting company doing interesting things. Here's the story. 
And then, you know, 2020 happened. And the reason I got back in touch is because I saw on December 31st, you did this tweet storm that kind of laid out the year that you had. And I'm just going to read the, the TLDR of it, which you put at the top, which is TLDR, we overcame losing tens of millions of revenue, two layoffs, i.e. 60% of the company, co-founder's wife diagnosed with cancer, core business going to zero, switching to remote whilst also undertaking a saving the company pivot, and a fundraising nuclear winter. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> um, so can we just start where we kind of left off in January and kind of just kind of take a walk through the year if it's not too painful? Because I think it's, you know, a lot of times we have people on and it's all the positive stories. And this one ends up being positive. But there's also, you know, there's the myth out here and then there's the reality of actually running a company and things go wrong. And last year it sounded like everything went wrong. Yeah, I'm happy to share. You know, it's interesting. I'm generally active on social media, but I think founders, you know, of course, it's it's easy when everything's going well to just share, you know, all the successes and all of that. And then I kind of went silent, I think, in the second half of last year. And I just had to focus on the business. There was so much that we had to figure out because of the pandemic. And then as New Year's Eve happened, I just had this sense of like, I want to share what we've been through. I didn't necessarily put a ton of thought into, you know, it wasn't anything strategic about putting those tweets out. I was just like, I want to kind of bookend the year. Here's what I went through and then just leave it. And I was surprised by the response. I got a ton of support, a ton of encouragement and just engagement with the thread. And in particular, I had a lot of founders reach out to me and they said something similar to what you just said, which is, you know, we heard about all the success stories last year. Zoom took off, mm. Instacart took off, all these companies did really well. We didn't hear so much about everyone who was struggling and all the businesses or categories that kind of, you know, had had a different thing happen to them last year. So it felt nice that by me sharing some of the experience of what we went through, it maybe gave some space to other founders or encouragement for them to be like, I'm not in this alone. You know, I wasn't the only one who had a tough time of it. And so, um, yeah, coming back to, I think when we last spoke, you know, we'd pretty much been growing three to four X year over year since 2016. Yeah. I have in my notes that we were at, you know, about 250 employees. We had 2,200 homes. We were in five cities. And I had just, you know, set the company up for another year of big growth. And we were on this trajectory. And then, you know, when March happened and the shutdown happened, it became very clear that that wasn't going to happen for us. People weren't traveling, you know, and our, our model, which is to provide furnished housing for people who are traveling for business or relocating or just projects, you know, the demand crashed massively. And I remember the first thing was in March or April, just seeing cancellations happen. And usually as we're gearing up for the summer, it's the opposite effect. We get, you know, millions of dollars of bookings happening. This time it went the other way and we were losing millions of dollars where people who'd already booked for the summer were now cutting it short or canceling. And so I remember just being like, oh boy, I've never experienced anything like this before. And even I remember in the early days, um, I saw this thing yesterday I found kind of funny, which was welcome to the one year anniversary of our two week lockdown. Because the first lockdown was meant to be <laughs> two weeks. And I was I remember thinking, oh, you know, by July, August, things will be back to normal. And I had just no sense for how long and how deep this thing was going to be. And did you have a sense? And I, because, you know, we all had lived through it in a different way. But 
you running a company and running a company that is basically business travel um, or business relocation. Was there a moment where you're like, oh, this will be okay. This It'll be okay. It'll be fine. And then like, oh, 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 no, it's not. Yeah. I mean, maybe just that happened within March. Like I remember when the first companies shut down their offices and then the first few conferences shut down, I think South by Southwest. And I think there were a few others going on. We didn't really see any impact on our business at then. And again, I was like, you know, our model is 30 day plus. It's more extended stay. People who travel for, you know, these conferences, that's not really our custom, our customers anyway. Things transitioned for us as soon as um, I think Trump did the international travel ban. That's when we just saw a lot of people in the US be like, oh, shit, I got to get home yeah. and go back to Europe. And I think, you know, international travel was about a quarter to a third of our business. So immediately all these people coming to the States no longer coming and the people that were in the States mm. were going back to Europe. So that was the first time where I was like, oh, we're in this too now. And then, you know, we'd have summer internship programs. Facebook's a large customer. And then I remember the sort of back and forth of, are we going to do this? Are we not going to do this? And then it was all canceled and made virtual. And then, you know, all these homes that we'd basically procured for those deals, it was like, no, nobody wants them anymore. So yeah, March, when the stock market crashed, the international travel ban happened. That's when I was like, oh yeah, you know, this is going to be be tough for us. And had you... And I don't recall, uh, and forgive me, so was this your first experience of kind of real adversity? Because I do recall, like, you know, as you say, like, Zeus has been kind of, it's just been notching up wins, it sounds like, since you guys started it in 2016. Did you have, was this the first time where it was really like, oh, goodness, this thing we've started or this place I'm working is in real trouble, you know, either here or elsewhere before you started this company? I'm inclined to say of this magnitude, yeah, it was the first time. I mean, every startup has its ups and downs. We've had challenges. We've had, you know, setbacks in my life or in my career. I wouldn't say it was the first one. I remember the dot-com crash. I was working at a startup in London through school. And even the financial crisis, just I was at a company then and they went through that. So sort of seen these big demand shocks happen before. But for Zeus, yeah, this was like the largest impacting that we'd been through. And again, it wasn't all plain sailing and always sort of up and to the right in terms of our growth. But of this magnitude, yeah, in this startup, this was like, a, you know, people always wanted our product, whether it was mm. people who give us their homes to be managed or people who want to live in the homes. That's never really been in question. It's always been a question of like, how do you do it efficiently? How do you scale? You know, just a usual startup building a company stuff. Now we were in a scenario where it's like, oh, people don't want this product right now because all travel has stopped. So now what do we do? And, you know, March happens and then everybody's canceling. And obviously, you know, a lot of people know the Airbnb situation, which was, you know, they just gave people their money back and they pissed off a lot of hosts, but then they set up a fund to help hosts. At least they didn't necessarily make them whole, but they made a very clear decision of like, we're just going to take a massive financial hit and give a bunch of people their money back. Their Airbnb though, they're, uh, you know, now worth $120 billion, which is crazy. What did you do when, when this all happened? Yeah, that was one of the big decisions we had to make. And, you know, the short answer is we also refunded our customers their money. There were some situations where with some of the business customers, we could give credits because they, you know, they intended to travel again and people were really appreciative of that. But I know of, you know, other companies in the space that didn't do that. And they were like, no, nope, 
the terms of our company are the terms of our company or the stage you booked. It's non-refundable. So, you know, um, my view here was, again, let's take the long-term outlook. People are going to travel again. People remember how we treated them. And, you know, what would I want if I was a customer? So we also made that call, which, you know, it just added to it because then just on your balance sheet, you see there's sort of millions of dollars of revenue just leave and (laughs) all your planning goes out the window. Uh, Yeah. In your tweets, you said you were down to two weeks of money. Is that right? Yeah, I was at a few weeks of runway. Yeah. Was that after once you decided to give the money back? That's where it left you? Yeah. So that's a really like, why? I mean, did you, were you just confident you could raise money in a pandemic for a travel business? Because that just, it seems like you're almost signing your death warrant as a company by doing that. Yeah, you know, now that you say it, or you put it that way, (laughs) now I'm like, wait, why did we do that? Um, Let me go back for a moment. Yeah, so the reason why our cash balance was low was because I was also preparing for our Series C fundraise, like the next round. Mm. And so, you know, the timing for the pandemic couldn't have been worse for us because we'd hired all these employees, we'd added all these new homes, we were getting ready to like grow another 3x, we were getting ready to fundraise and all of that. And then the pandemic hit, the investors went silent. Like the VCs I'd been talking to stopped responding to emails. They just blanked you. Yeah. And I guess... Brutal. I was going to say, I guess understandable because everyone had to <laughs> take care of their portfolio companies. But I remember just, again, no one knew what was going to happen with the world. I mean, we didn't really even know that much about the virus. Like, yeah. was it just going to be this thing that wiped through uh, humanity? So... I did manage to have some inside investors who'd been with us for a while, who'd seen our performance and our trajectory, and they basically indicated they would fund us. They would give us some capital to get through the pandemic. So I think maybe at the time when we had to make the refunds, I didn't have that like you know signed and yeah. um, fully committed. That's a big call. That's a big call to make. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so now I'm like, yeah, maybe we should have put more thought into it. But it also <laughs> just maybe that's where the I don't know, the sort of insanity of being an entrepreneur in the first place comes out where you think you're going to make it work or you're going to win, even if all the odds are stacked against you. Maybe I had a bit of that, which is, hey, I'm going to figure a way through this. And, you know, I've been asked that question before, like, where did that belief come from? And I haven't yet been able to give a really good answer because I kind of don't know, but I do just know, like, I woke up one morning and as bad as everything seemed, I was like, we're going to get through this and we're just going to make that choice and we'll figure it out and we'll do everything we need to do, but we're going to get through this. And that was the first step in my mind was making that decision. And then after that, then it was like your brain switches to this sort of creative problem solving curiosity mindset, as opposed Mm. to, you know, I don't know, panic and stress and, and all of that. Have you seen Jerry Maguire? I actually haven't. So there's a, it's like the 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 whole setup of the movie is like he's this agent, and he decide he has this attack of conscience, and he's like, oh, we need to like do this all differently, and he goes out into the office and he gives this big impassioned speech about how he's gonna strike out on his own and create this whole new way of doing business, more you know, moral all the stuff, and he's like, who's coming with me? <laughs> and no one does. Everybody's like looks down at their desk gets really interested in their keyboard and he like walks out with like one secretary. Um, <laughs> did you have any moments like that or was it like, cause you said you tweet about this idea of like, you just kind of decided it was going to be okay. 
you know, there were there were some employees that left. There were some employees who, you know, felt like they'd signed up for this fast growth startup, you know, and, and maybe having a really cushy job, frankly, of, you know, writing the sort of coattails of success. And then now it was like we'd taken a step back and now we're back in the trenches and we're fighting for survival. So, yeah, some employees left. But, you know, the vast majority stuck around and they were like, no, we're, we're also going to get through this. We believe in you and, and all the changes that we're going to make. And then I guess maybe on the investor side, you know, Airbnb themselves were impacted. They were our largest investor. Comcast is an investor. And so for some of these investors, it was a case of like, hey, our own houses are on fire. Like we need to save ourselves before we can help mm. our neighbors. So that was maybe where else there was a little bit of like being felt like, uh, feeling like we were left on our own. Right. So you give that money back, you raise some money to kind of steady the ship, but then you had to lay some people off, a lot of people off. Yeah. Yeah. And that was um, that was probably the low point. You know, we, we actually had to do it twice. We laid off some people at the end of March, and that was, you know, the first signs of the pandemic mm. um, going to impact us. And then I think the second layoff was we announced it in May and we gave people a, a sort of six week window. So they actually ended up happening in June. Uh, and that was when we're like, okay, this is, this thing's for the long haul. And, you know, it, that was, it was so hard because I kind of, I haven't done it before. We were doing it over zoom, which is unfortunate. Like at least, you know, Ugh. normally you can do it in person. Yeah. You can say your goodbyes, you can say your thank yous. Um, but this was over Zoom and it just, you know, by its nature made it a little bit more impersonal. And then there were some employees who, you know, they'd been with us from the start, like our first 10 employees. I'm not saying all 10 were laid off, but out of that yeah. cohort. And and there were a lot where it's like, this has really got nothing to do with your performance. You've just worked, you've worked really hard and, and done a lot for the company. It's just this role no longer exists because of the pandemic. And we're having to sort of just really rebuild the foundations again for the future so yeah that was that was a tough thing and you know i got emotional i remember on on the zoom when when i did it and i had this feeling of like man we worked so hard over four years five years to build this thing and just having this sense of like i can see it all unravel in front of my eyes mm. and we had to like give back a lot of these homes and yeah so that was that was a particular low point and you talk about wishing you had done parts of that differently. What do you, what do you mean? Because I think to your point, laying somebody off is never, it's, it's almost impossible for that to go well, but there's surely ways that can do be better and worse. I mean, what, what did you glean from that experience? Yeah. So um, the layoff that we didn't do well was that first one in March. And again, as I said, I, I didn't really have much experience. The people who in the company who had a, had experience of that, you know, again, I'll get into specifics, but it's stuff like, you know, everyone has to give their laptops back, you deactivate accounts, it's done on this Zoom, then you have these like smaller breakout Zooms for the people who are staying. And just the message, I think it, it all just happened very quickly. I think I, I spoke for like maybe three minutes and I'm like, hey, I'm really sorry we're having to do this. So this was a group Zoom to the yeah. people who were getting laid off? Yeah. Well, right. it was a, it was a, the first Zoom was to the whole company. And then right. we said, if you're going to be in the group that's laid off, you're going to get this calendar invite. And for people who are sticking around, you're going to get this other one. Oof. And so I just think the shock of it yeah. was really sad. You know, 
didn't really give people the proper opportunity to say goodbye. And then, yeah, just laying people off into a pandemic. And again, like I think about a lot of our operations folks where it's not really any fault of their own. And then what's the job environment like? It was just really hard. So then we fixed this for the second one where, you know, we gave them the six week period, grace period. Mm. We let, I think, more people basically keep their laptops and just did it in a much more caring way. The first one was a little bit more sort of just shocking and a surprise. Um, well, it, the first one was like group Zoom, here's your calendar invite. You're no longer working here as of today. Yeah. And it sounds so harsh, even just like hearing you say it like that. And again, I I, I want to be the leader that takes responsibility for everything. Yeah. But there was probably a bit of naivety or, or inexperience on my side. I mean, I had the instinct that this isn't the right way to do it. But I had other voices around me, which is like, nope, this is how you do it. And then for the mm. second one, I was like, nope, that's not the kind of company we are, the culture we are, or, you know, how I'd want to be treated. So I'm going to do it differently. I don't care what, you know, other companies have done or other playbooks are like. Yeah. Right. So you did those those layoffs and then obviously they weren't enough. So what was happening with the business? Yeah. So in April our occupancy dropped to about 45% at its lowest. From... Usually we're at, yeah, usually we're at that sort of 85, 90% mark. So we've always had a pretty good occupancy. And so at that point, I'm like, oh man, this is bad. By the end of April, we'd managed to claw back to about 65% occupancy. And that's when we had to do stuff like, okay, business travel isn't happening, but there's a lot of healthcare travel happening. I think nurses were going around the country to the hospitals yeah. that needed them. I remember campuses were closing down and students needed housing because they were being displaced from their dorms and so on. I think there was also some travel in the uh, essential industries or critical industries, it was called. Infrastructure was one. I think construction became one. So we basically found other bits of demand and we clawed that occupancy back up to 65%. And then I think by May, we were in the 70s. I think by June, we'd broken through 80. And then from July, we were back at 85%. And so, you know, we had to shed some of our inventory. We found new sources of demand. We had to change our pricing, our positioning. And then the tailwind we got was remote work, frankly. Um, a lot of people, mm. once they entered this world of, you know, not having to go into the office every day, were like, well, hey, I want to try living somewhere else. And I remember LA was one market that really took off for us first. I think it was in April. We just saw this huge shift of demand. Lots of people went to LA and LA as a market got to that 90% occupancy pretty quickly. But then, you know, New York didn't follow that pattern. Neither did San Francisco. So, you know, we focused things internally in the business. We just, occupancy was that first metric that I rallied everyone around. It's like, we need to just get this back up to a good spot. We would meet every day, the executive team, we were just very tactical. The engineers would do what we asked of them and how we needed things to change. The other big sort of strategic shift was we started adding third-party inventory. And what I mean by that is, you know, we saw a lot of demand go to Miami, for example. Zeus yeah. ourselves, we don't have any homes in Miami, but we found partners that were operating there. And we're like, hey, we have people searching on Zeus would you like some of that demand? And, and you know, they weren't traditionally in this 30-day plus space. They were like, yep, yeah, we'd love that extra help. Mm. And so we added partner inventory to our website. We went from about 2,000 listings to 4,000 listings over the course of the year. And so we did lots of things like that to just kind of stabilize 
get us back onto um, a good footing. And then by Q4, so by October, November, December, things started looking much better. And we've had sort of four or five months of like really quite strong performance. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Right. But before you got there, obviously your co-founder came to you with some terrible news. Yeah. What was that and when did that happen? So that that happened in June. It was the afternoon we did the second layoffs. The day of the second layoffs? Yeah, it was actually like 15 minutes after the layoffs. <laughs> or rather the, you know, the sort of, we, we'd set up a goodbye Zoom. So everyone mm. had had six weeks notice. You know, we were doing all the transitions. We had this goodbye yeah. Zoom. It was very emotional. That's when I kind of got a bit teary on the call. And, you know, I had that sense of like everything's unraveling. But we finished that call. You know, I was kind of just catching my breath and then my phone rings and Joe basically told me that he had to take his wife to the hospital. She started feeling really unwell. I think Tuesday of that week, Tuesday, Wednesday, just unwell, went to the hospital on Thursday. He got a phone call and he's like, because they've asked me to come to the hospital, it means one thing. And, and, and so he's like, yeah, they basically told me that she has cancer. And it was an aggressive mm. form of leukemia. It's ALL. Mm. And so then I had this moment of like, oh my God, I like feel terrible for you and, you know, what you're going through and for her, of course. And then they have a kid, um, Isaac. Mm. And, and then it was this weird kind of perspective thing because I was like, okay, I was just feeling sorry for myself because I had to lay off, you know, another hundred people at the company yeah. and saying goodbye to them. And then, I just get this news and it kind of put everything into perspective, which is ultimately like, look, we're still healthy. You know, that that's, yeah. that's what really matters. And then it was just a case of like, Joe, you know, take as much time as you need to be there for her and for your family. We've got this at the company and let us know whatever we can do to help you. And so, you know, like sending like food packages and uh, just kind of being there for him. Yeah, that became sort of really important in, in the summer as well. Yeah. So first of all, what happened? Is she okay? Yeah, she's okay. So again, it was kind of it's kind of dramatic because she had the first stage of chemo. I don't think there was a lot of improvement. She had the second stage of chemo, not a lot of improvement. I think the third stage and and the doctors had pretty much said, like, if this doesn't work, then sorry, but like, that's it. Yeah. And then her third stage of chemo worked mm. and she went into remission and then they did a bone marrow transplant. Yeah. Um, 
and that went smoothly. And then there's this hundred day milestone apparently after you do these transplants where she got past that and everything was 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 good. And their lives sort of got came a bit back to normal. And because again, when you do this chemo, your immune system yeah. weakens or pretty much goes to zero. And then again, this is in the context of we're in a pandemic. A pandemic. And you know, Joe couldn't bring any outside food uh, into the house, so he had to cook for that entire period, and um, lots of little things like that. So, wow. thankfully, fingers crossed, she's on the recovery. She's doing well. She got this transplant uh, successfully, and just again, a lot of gratitude from me towards. I think it was at Stanford Hospital where she was getting treated. And so, you lay off over half the company. Your co-founder tells you that. Were you like, you know what, this let's I, I can't do this anymore. I'm gonna throw I'm this is too much. This is kind of, you know, I, I have to kind of throw in the towel here and kind of let everybody get on with their lives because this is just it feels like it's just calamity after calamity. No, I, I'm thinking about the answer because again, I wanna be really honest and truthful about it. I I think the answer is no. I I didn't I, I okay, there was one evening when I went to bed where it did feel like this is the end, but more so the end, not because I'm giving up, but because the stuff out of my control yeah. was, wasn't going to allow us to survive. So I remember that night and just feeling really kind of depressed about it because the amount of work that goes into building a startup in the early days, not everyone necessarily believes in you, coming back to your Jerry Maguire story. Yeah. And then I just remember all those evenings where I was like, uh, I can call it call it a day right now, or I can take one more meeting or send one more email, meet one more landlord. And more often than not, I would always do the incremental thing in the evening yeah. or the weekend because I really wanted to build this. And then when I went to bed that night, I was like, man, all of that could be for nothing. This could all just be a big fat zero. And not just me, everyone else that's invested in the company, all the employees that have you know, worked so hard building this. I had that one evening and I think it was the next morning where I woke up and I was like, nope, we're going to get through this. But then, no, I didn't. I don't really remember, honestly, having that sense of like, I'm going to throw in the towel. I'm done. Let's move on. Right. I didn't have that. Was the the kind of bringing on third parties, kind of like housing providers or owner, landlords, was that the kind of stroke that saved you guys? Y- yeah. Well, I think two things. I think that occupancy coming back up was maybe the first thing where it's like, like imagine if we'd have gone down to 25% occupancy or 10% occupancy, which is I think what happened to some of the hotels. And then it stayed at that level for quite a while. So I think that was maybe the first thing where we're like, nope, there is other demand. And thankfully this asset class of furnished housing, it's quite versatile. And maybe, you know, business travel isn't happening now, but all this other uh, use cases are emerging. And even actually, I remember some people were wanting to quarantine in Zeus homes. So about a third of our customers who were in the homes when the pandemic hit, They were just like, we're going to ride this out and we just want to stay in the homes. And then some people were like, I want to isolate from my roommates or whatever. So the asset class showed some resilience. The occupancy creeping back up helped. I think with the sort of marketplace strategy, if we call it that, I think that kind of gave hope for the future and it helped bring the extra investment that we needed in. Because again, that was something that was in my roadmap long-term and my vision long-term. And just being able to execute on that, you know, again, the team was fully distributed. We'd lost a lot of employees, but the fact that we could still ship a huge software update like that. And then not only that, but we had huge growth in the number of partners that wanted to work with us. 
and then bookings on the website. I think that was kind of a, it was very reassuring to investors about the overall prospects to, to the company and just how we perform. And, you know, I, I would kind of joke, joke with some employees. I was like, I don't think there's actually anything harder than this that we can ever go through. Like this is as hard as it could be, <laughs> knock on wood, because I would hate if that wasn't the case. And so if we can successfully get through this, then, you know, we can overcome anything if we put our minds to it. So it, it had that effect. Right. And so the business now relative to a year ago, kind of going back to where we started last year, you were kind of like raring up to raise probably a pretty big round of Series C funding. Things were growing, blah, 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 blah. Then you have this huge plunge and then you kind of come back. So where, just in terms of numbers, where are you? And then what's the plan now? Yeah, so despite everything, we actually managed to grow revenue last year. It wasn't as aggressive growth as we originally were yeah. planning for, but we still managed to grow revenue. And I think the first half of this year is still, you know, kind of just resetting the foundations. We broadened the positioning of the company to more, maybe say, consumer leisure away from the business travel. And, you know, this traveling for work or rather through remote work has become a big use case that didn't even exist a year ago. So generally speaking, the, the unit economics, I'm going to use some jargon, or the profitability of the homes is good. It's really good. We've had five straight months of the best unit economics in the company's history. Obviously, the growth rate isn't quite the same as it was mm. before, but we're just thinking as the pandemic eases and you know the vaccine rollout happens, We'll think about that in the second half of the year and, and probably next year, really. I think Airbnb say the same thing where they think they're really planning for business travel to return next year. They've got a lot of domestic travel happening now, and I think we're in a similar position. So I had the company marching towards profitability. Obviously, we reduced a lot of our costs. And there's something nice about this idea of, again, it might sound crazy to some listeners, but if you're profitable, you control your own destiny. As a growth startup, you're obviously burning through a lot of cash. So we had that shift where we focused a lot on reducing our expenses, increasing our revenue, but we still need to grow a little bit to get the right scale for profitability. So I'd say generally, I'm happy with our numbers, but we are, we're kind of in that stage of rebuilding the foundation and then thinking about growth in the second half to early next year. So presumably you're going to have to go out and raise some money. Yeah. Have you started that process? It would be fascinating just to hear kind of what the reception is for investors when you come and sit down and show the kind of the EKG of line of like, you know, the drop, the growth, the kind of, you know, just the what this last year has been. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I have a bias anyway towards investors that, you know, a sort of conviction or high conviction investors where it's not so much maybe what's happening in with the market sentiment. It's like, is this a good business? Can you build a really large business? Do I believe in you? Do I believe in the team and the vision? So I don't think that necessarily changes too much. Yeah, maybe the opportunistic investor who's like, hey, real estate startups are a hot category. I want to jump in. It's, it's maybe weeded some of those guys out. But the other tailwind here is, frankly, what happened with Airbnb's IPO. Um, they've had a great it's incredible uh, yeah it's it's been incredible and and i think that does benefit us anecdotally some of the investors that i've just stayed in touch with they viewed that as a real positive and you know our numbers you know we've had a similar sort of recovery that we saw so like you i'm curious but 
again, I guess fundamentally, I just believe we're a better business now for all of the hardship we went through and all the changes we had to make. You know, we operate a large portfolio even more efficiently than we did before. And then we've got this new tailwind around remote work and people just wanting to be flexible with their living setup. That's like been a big boost to the business. Yeah, it's really interesting. I don't know if you have any views on the hotel industry because I was looking, I just looked uh, as you were talking, Airbnb is worth $120 billion right now. It's up like whatever, a third from its IPO. And then, you know, it's worth more than like the top five hotel companies combined or something crazy. And the hotel industry seems to have really struggled with trust, basically. People willing to kind of go back to these places where there's lots of shared space. But it sounds like you're seeing something similar. I'm just wondering if you have a sense of how that might all play out. Yeah, I think, you know, this is something that we got lucky with as well. Our business model was much more about single family houses, not so much like large large buildings yeah. and, and apartments and having that space of, you know, a backyard and so on. And then the other thing that we did maybe fortuitously was within a city, we tended to be in the suburbs. We weren't overly concentrated in like the downtown cores because again, our product is for people who are living several months at a time and they just want a bit more of a residential experience. So those two things were good for us. You know, I remember one narrative being, the hotels would be better equipped to deliver that sort of CDC level cleaning. And there's more trust behind those brands. But I think ultimately people, to your point, they just didn't want to be in sort of a dense environment where you're sharing an elevator or there's corridors with lots of people walking. So, you know, overall, we could discuss where the stock market's at right now. I think there's a lot of money in there. But on the fundamentals of Airbnb, like I'm very, very bullish, just that kind of a marketplace that has so much heterogeneous supply mm. and just the way that they've navigated it, the strength of their brand. You know, I think it's a, it's an amazing business and a lot of lock-in, a lot of unique supply, a lot of trust. You know, I used it during the pandemic if we were doing little sort of getaways for the weekend. I do think hotels will come back. Maybe it'll just take a, a year or two, but yeah, very, very sort of bullish on Airbnb's prospects. And how do you feel now after this completely unforeseeable year? Are you kind of traumatized? Are you <laughs> proud? Are you both? Um, I do have a sense of, I really don't want to go through that again. Mm. You know, at times I actually think, I actually can't remember the periods of March and April, like the day to day. And I don't know if that was just a similar experience for a lot of people in the pandemic where you know, maybe the monotony of just being at home all the time and just being on calls, it all sort of blurs into one. Or if there's a bit of a, yeah, maybe let's call it a bit of a traumatic sort of angle to it, which is it was so stressful and so hard that, you know, the memories are kind of elusive. Kind of blocked it out. Yeah, yeah just kind of blocked it out. I think now, you know, my commitment to myself is I want to just make the job a lot more manageable for myself for the long term. So I think, you know, as a founder, it's very easy to get sucked into meetings, you know, all mm. hours of the day, weekends, you never really switch off. I don't know how good the self-care thing is. And it potentially can be a bit of a trap. So what I tried to do post-January was not have a super busy schedule, 
And then I've tried to take a few more sort of like weekend breaks. And what I've found is it's given, it's given my mind the space to basically be creative again and problem solve. And, and the truth is you don't really switch off, but there is something to the, the sort of creative mindset that when you give yourself that space and you're not like just drained and exhausted all the time. Yeah. So, and is there a hack you have done to do that? Is it just like, you know, is there some way you have systematized that? So you give yourself that space come hell or high water. Yeah, the, you know, some of the habits I've adopted now, instead of having a to-do list, I mean, I still have a to-do list, but I put everything onto my calendar. So instead of saying I have these three things to do, it's like, and maybe this sounds really obvious to some people, but hey, I'm putting this on my calendar. It's going to take me half an hour, an hour, whatever. And then that naturally means I don't get too overwhelmed because what used to happen was when we had our office, I would be in meetings all pretty much all day. And then when the yeah. evening would come around about seven-ish, I'd be like, oh, okay, now let me do this stuff on my to-do list. I've got to do this for that person. I've got to send these emails. And then I'd work into the evening and maybe early morning sometimes. And that wasn't sustainable. You know, I focused a lot on my sleep quality, just trying to go to bed at a regular time. I have blackout blinds. I make it kind of cool. And I was going to say exercise as well. I'm not super religious about it, but every evening, me and my wife go for a walk. It's become one of the, the great habits I think we've developed out of the pandemic. And then just doing other bits of exercise when I can, and you know, Peloton or whatever. I think those things help. But I think probably the biggest one has just been the way I manage my time on my calendar. And yeah. Yeah. So was the Peloton a pandemic purchase? Actually, I, I live in a condo building, and so our HOA bought them for oh, our gym. <laughs> I just know so many people who have kind of like joined the cult, and like even my skeptical friends who, who kind of hate everything, they're like, dude, it's pretty good. I, yeah, I think uh, so. You know, I just, I just bought the shoes, and now <laughs> that's what a game changer. Yeah, I'm not quite that far, but I like on the app that they have all these other things. Like you can do a strength workout. Yeah, bodyweight workouts, all these things. So um, yeah, I'm a fan. I didn't personally buy it though. <laughs> well, look, I appreciate you telling the story. Like I said at the beginning, it's not um, these stories. I think, I mean, yours is extreme, but I think that type of story is as common as the kind of company starts, company sells for a billion or a hundred billion dollars, whatever. You know, all the stories we hear about, you hear about the successes, and you so rarely hear about like this was really, really hard. And this like, this just all sucked. And this is really trying. (laughs) Um, But I think it's important that those stories get out because as I mean, it sounds like from the um, response you got, you know, there's definitely like a market there for like people being like, Oh, okay. I'm not like, alone here. This is actually, you know, this stuff's difficult. Yeah. Um, You know, my first startup, through some luck, I think I mentioned this last time, I was writing for the BBC yeah. when I moved out here. And that was just this very nice, closed story. I wrote six viewpoint pieces. And by the sixth one, we, we'd sold the company. It's like, that isn't really what happens in startups. So <laughs> every startup has, I'd say most startups have some sort of like comeback story. And, you know, we're in the middle of ours. And um, maybe if I could give a little plug for a moment, I am going to keep updating the story. So that thread that I put on Twitter I had a lot of interest. I, I spoke on Clubhouse where people were like, nope, we want to keep hearing the update. So mm. you know, my Twitter account is uh, at Kul, K-U-L. So if, if there's anyone that 
that's interested in following along, I'll be sharing updates there. Cool. I'll keep an eye out. And great Twitter handle, by the way, KUL. You know, that's a nice, succinct, good handle. You must have got that early. Yeah, I um, I signed up the day Twitter launched. It was July 2006. Oh, really? Yeah, it was, um, I, I knew Ev Williams. I was working out of the Twitter office through um, sort of my Oxford connection days. But then again, there's not a ton of competition for that handle. Um, it's no, a I don't think name, so. But, but you know, if you try to, yeah, you know, that would have been taken many, many moons ago. But um, well, cool. Well, look, um, thank you again for taking the time. It's super fascinating and um, very glad to hear your Joe's wife is is on the mend. And yeah. Oh, I guess the one last question and I'll let you go. I promise. Have you heard from any of the people that you had to lay off of like good, bad or indifferent of just like, you know, people who are angry people or, or you'd be like, oh, maybe you might be able to come back. I don't know. Like, that's the other thing I, you don't often hear about is like, maybe you never hear from anybody again. But especially when you're in the, I would imagine, at a startup where people are putting in long hours and spending a lot of time with each other, those uh, can be difficult things to sever. Yeah, all of the above. So, uh, you know, companies get glass door ratings. I had a five-star rating as an employee and as a CEO mm. um, up until the pandemic hit. After the first set of layoffs, you know, we got a bunch of negative reviews. People were understandably quite angry. I made it a point to be LinkedIn connected with every one of my employees. And so when I see people find new jobs, I've always tried to, to share some encouraging words and say congratulations. Uh, the good news is we've actually managed to rehire some of those people that we laid off. Oh, wow. And that's been really enjoyable and, and you know, sort of fun highlights that as, as the business is stabilized and we've started, you know, fixing things, we're like, hey, we'd love to have you back if you're still interested. And, you know, mo more often than not, everyone said yes. And so they understand it wasn't a, a layoff because of, you know, performance or, or whatever. We were just put into this crazy situation. So, yeah, I've stayed in touch with a lot of people. Again, the culture at Zeus, we had very strong relationships and that's probably another part of how we got through this. We just had such a strong connection with each other and the mission that we're working on. So yeah, it's been nice to rehire some employees, stayed in touch with a lot and you know, some have moved on to other, other gigs. Right, cool. Well, I wish you luck. I'll keep an eye on at KUL on Twitter <laughs> for the next update. Thank you very much, Danny. It was a pleasure coming on and appreciate it. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Colvier for taking the time, for telling that story, for telling all those stories, really. it's um, It was obviously a very difficult year. It's been a, just a terrible year for everybody. But 2021, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling better about the world. But anyhow, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for your ratings and reviews. Keep them coming in, please. It really helps other people find the show. You can find me in the newspaper, as usual, at thetimes.co.uk, on Twitter, at Danny Fortson, on email, danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. I will talk to you next week. Have a fabulous weekend. Stay safe, stay sane. Pretty soon I'm going to be able to stop saying that, I hope, because we'll start to be able to go outside and actually see friends. Won't that be lovely? Anyhow, take care. See you next week.
I'm Oliver Moody, the Berlin correspondent for The Times, here to tell you about a new podcast investigation. He signed his official letters with Heil Hitler. The man who helped to lay the legal basis for the Holocaust. If Globka were responsible for the deportation of any Jews, he should have been tried. The Spider in the Web, the Hans Globka story, out this Thursday on Stories of Our Times. Listen on the Times Radio app, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 